Wise Podcast. My name is Rebecca Meitinger. It is wonderful to be here with you today. Today we are in the third episode in a series that we're doing throughout the summer on the Apostle Paul. This series is called Paul, His Journeys, His Letters, His Jesus. As we go throughout the summer, we're looking in depth at the Apostle Paul and his journeys through the book of Acts, taking in parts of his letters as they fit, and primarily getting to know his Jesus that he loved so dearly. This is the third episode, and the first episode focused on Paul B.C., who was Paul before he met Christ. The second episode last week focused on Paul's conversion on the Damascus Road. How did Jesus meet him on the Damascus Road and how did Jesus flip his life upside down? We focused on the fact that it was very important for us to realize that he saw Jesus, the risen, resurrected Lord Jesus Christ, in a physical way and that he was sent out by Jesus as an apostle. This third episode is going to focus on the hidden years. The hidden years after Paul came to Christ, after Jesus turned his life upside down and revealed himself to Paul, and before Jesus sent him out on his official ministry. There was a period of about 14 years that are very much hidden from us, but we get glimpses of those 14 years through the pages of the scripture. So what I am doing in this episode is I am linking together those scriptures to the best of my ability using several commentators and scholars as sources and how they piece together those different scriptures to figure out a little bit about what what can we know about those 14 years in between Paul's conversion and when Paul was sent out on his first missionary journey. What can we learn about that waiting period? And what can we receive? What can we learn about the Lord Jesus? What we can what can we learn about how Jesus calls us through the way that he called the Apostle Paul? So that's what we are looking at today. I'm going to start just by revamping a little bit where we were last week. So last week we talked about Jesus's meeting Saul on the road to Damascus. And then he sent Saul into Damascus to stay at the house of Judas on Straight Street. And Ananias was sent by Jesus to come over and to anoint Saul and to baptize him and to commission him really uh, and to welcome him into the Christian family. We don't know after that if Saul stayed at Judas's house or if he went to Ananias' house then. It seems possible that he would have gone to Ananias' house at that point since Ananias reached out to him and gave him the hand of brothership, but also it's possible that he stayed at Judas's house after Judas had seen all of this happening and seen the conversion of Paul and seen the scales fall from his eyes It's possible that Judas placed his faith in Christ as well. We don't know. We don't hear anything else about either Ananias or Judas. And so we're not sure what happened after that with those two, but we know that for several days, Paul did stay in Damascus and he started to preach almost immediately. So I'm going to pick up where we left off. The text in, uh, in the book of Acts is still calling him Saul at this point. And like I mentioned in the last episode, I do use the names interchangeably. So I'm going to start reading uh, right where we left off last time. And in Acts chapter 9, I'm going to start reading at verse 19. 
B, 19B, so the second half of verse 19. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished, and they asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. All right, at that point, scholars are a little bit divided at what happens at this point. Verse 23 goes, to, goes on and says, After many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy amongst the Jews to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. That would have been the city wall. They lowered him outside the city wall through a, in a basket. One of my commentators said it would have been a really large fish basket used by fishermen that they were able to lower him from the ground to the ground in but scholars are are divided really about if so that was verse 23 24 and 25 i just read about the conspiracy to kill saul and scholars are divided about whether or not that occurred like the the threat on his life and the lowering in the basket if that happened after or before he went into arabia for a period of up to three years of solitude and studying. So we know that he went down into Arabia because in Galatians, he tells us something very significant. In Galatians chapter one, we get quite a bit of a insight into Paul's early years. We get more insight there than we get really anywhere else. So in Galatians chapter one, verse 11 he's writing to the church in galatia and he says to them i want you to know brothers and sisters that the gospel i preached is not of human origin i did not receive it from any man nor was i taught it rather i received it by revelation from jesus christ for you have heard of my previous way of life in judaism how intensely i persecuted the church of god and i tried to destroy it i was advancing in judaism beyond many of my own age amongst my people, and I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him amongst the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was. Instead, I went into Arabia, and later I returned to Damascus. All right, so because in Galatians, in the text I just read, Paul is writing and says that I did not consult anybody else. When I learned my theology, the gospel that I preached to you, I received it directly from the Lord Jesus Christ. So what he's saying, it's staggering. He's saying, I didn't first go into Jerusalem and learn everything I could from the apostles who walked with the Lord Jesus. I didn't go there first. Instead, I went into Arabia 
so I could receive direct revelation from Jesus himself about all the theology and the gospel that he wants me to know and that he wants me to teach. Now, when we read the letters of Paul, we see significant, deep theology. He learned all of that directly from the Lord Jesus Christ, probably during these silent, hidden years. And he was in Arabia for up to three years. We're not quite sure how long he was in Arabia. After he was in Arabia for a period of probably close to three years, he says he went back to Damascus. That's why, going back to this Acts chapter 9, verse 23, where it talks about the conspiracy to kill Saul in Damascus and how the people lowered him in a fish basket outside the city walls, that is why... A lot of scholars believe that he went to Arabia before that, and then when he returned to Damascus, that's when that plan eventually conspired to kill him and when they had to lower him through the basket. The reason for that being that if that had happened prior to his going to Arabia and him studying for a few years, would he really have gone back into Damascus after he had been nearly killed while he was there? Possibly. He may have. But scholars think that in between Acts chapter 9 verse 22 and Acts chapter 9 verse 23, right in between those two verses is might be where he went away for a while to study with just the Lord Jesus and then came back to Damascus to continue his ministry. And the reason that I was saying that it was probably about three years is because going back to that Galatians text, Galatians chapter 1, Right after he says, later I return to Damascus, Galatians chapter 1 verse 18, he says, then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter and I stayed with him for 15 days. So that is the reason that the that I said about three years. He was probably in Arabia for close to three years and then came back into Damascus to continue doing ministry. And then when when his life was threatened, he got lowered out of Damascus through a fish basket. And from there, he went to Jerusalem. All right, but I just want to pause here for a moment because I want to talk about this period of time when Saul went away into the desert, into Arabia, to just hear from Jesus. Some scholars think that when he went there, he probably did a lot of ministry and church planting. That's possible. He probably did talk about Jesus with everybody he got the opportunity to talk to. However, if he was doing a lot of ministry and planting of churches, it seems that something might have been written about that in the book of Acts, but we literally have nothing about his time in Arabia. That one sentence I read from Galatians where he said, I went into Arabia, that's all we have. So it seems very likely that when he went into Arabia, he literally was just hearing and learning from Jesus himself by direct revelation from Jesus because he said the gospel I preached to you I did not get from any human beings I got only from Jesus himself so Saul went away into Arabia just to hear from Jesus and I want to be like that I take a huge lesson from that about when was the last time that I took extended time to just hear from Jesus. I don't think I ever have, to be honest with you, unless you consider extended time to be 
30 to 60 minutes here and 30 to 60 minutes there where I just sit down in my office or go on a walk and just listen to the Lord for for a short amount of time, like I said, like 30 to 60 minutes. But have I ever gone longer than that? I'm challenged to answer that question. Have I ever waited longer to hear from God? Saul took up to three years of solitude, of just letting Jesus reveal himself, reveal his plan, reveal himself through the Old Testament scriptures. As you read the letters of Paul, you will see numerous, many, many, many references to the Old Testament because Paul knew and probably had memorized the entire Old Testament as a young boy, as a young man. He loved the Old Testament scriptures. And when he, when Jesus revealed himself, that is when Saul learned that Jesus was the fulfillment of every promise in the Old Testament. He is the fulfillment of the law. He did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. Paul learned all of that directly from Jesus. And as he studied the Old Testament scriptures during that time in Arabia, he would have studied them in a whole new way of seeing Jesus as the revelation of the Old Testament, the fulfillment of the Old Testament, and seeing Jesus so clearly in the pages of the Old Testament scriptures, he would have been seeing that for the first time. And he spent three years getting to know Jesus's fulfillment of the Old Testament and developing that entire theology and seeing how Jesus really is the Lamb of God slain from before the world was created, as it says in Revelation. Paul would have seen that clearly as he studied the scriptures during that time in Arabia and then that developed his theology to be able to write all of his letters and plant the churches he planted and do the teaching that he he taught in the synagogues and to the Gentiles going forward. But he needed that time alone with Jesus for Jesus to reveal all that to him. And he took the time. That is what I'm so convicted of. He took the time. He made the space in his life for that to happen. And I'm challenged. And I want to be like that. I want to make space to hear from God and receive whatever it is that God wants to teach and show me, just like Paul did. I want to do that. Imagine how closely I could walk with Jesus if I took the time for Jesus to reveal himself to me in a closer way. After Paul was in Arabia for up to three years, he returned to Damascus. His life was threatened in Damascus. And so then at that time, he went to Jerusalem. He had been a believer already for three years before he went to Jerusalem to meet with the apostles. So let's hear what he says about that. I'm going to first read the text out of Galatians when he writes about it in first person. And then I'm going to go back to Acts and read about how Luke writes it in the book of Acts. So in Galatians chapter 1 at verse 18, Paul writes, Then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas, and I stayed with him for 15 days. Cephas is Peter. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I am writing to you is no lie. All right, so that's what he writes in Galatians. Now I'm going to read it from Acts starting at verse 26. 
When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord, and that the Lord had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. And when the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and they sent him off to Tarsus. All right, so he stayed in Jerusalem for about two weeks talking to Peter and one of the one of the uh, commentators that I'm reading, one of the scholars that I'm reading, writes just beautifully. Actually, they all they all actually write about this time, this two week period when we see that Paul is staying with Peter and Peter's wife in Jerusalem. He only meets Peter and James, Jesus's brother. Those are the only two apostles that he meets. He doesn't meet the other ones primarily because they are afraid of him. They they knew three years ago that he was killing the disciples. They knew that he is the reason that the church had scattered after the persecution broke out after Stephen's uh, after Stephen was stoned, and they knew that that he had gone to Damascus to arrest and to torture Christians. So they did not believe that he was an apostle now, that he had met Jesus, that his life was completely different. Understandably, I mean, they probably had heard rumors three years ago that Paul the persecutor was, or Saul the persecutor was met on the road by Jesus and Jesus revealed himself to him and Saul became a Christian, but then Saul disappeared. Like, then he went into Arabia and nothing was heard about him for three years. So even if the disciples had started to wonder if he was a Christian now, he kind of just disappeared. And there was not really evidence yet to show them that he had changed. Except for a man named Barnabas. Barnabas is this wonderful, encouraging person. His first name is Joseph. The disciples actually renamed him Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, because he was, that was his character. He was such an encourager to others that they gave him the name Barnabas. Barnabas believed Saul. Barnabas took the time to get to know Saul, apparently, to hear his story about his conversion on the road to Damascus. Probably Saul told him about his time in Arabia and told him about what he had learned from the Lord Jesus. Enough that Barnabas saw truth in him, saw that the Holy Spirit really was inside of Saul, and then vouched for him, brought him to the apostles, to Peter, and said, look, this guy is legit. This guy is legit and he's filled with the Holy Spirit and he really has seen the Lord and the Lord really has revealed himself to him. And so then Peter accepted Saul. Saul stayed with him for about two weeks when yet again he has a death threat yet again by the Hellenistic Jews in the city tried to kill him. So there's another passage later in the book of Acts and Again, scholars are divided about when this other passage happens. So it's in Acts chapter 22, which I actually shared part of that last week, when Paul is presenting his case to his Jewish brothers and sisters. He actually shares this account with them 
about something the Lord told him when he visited Jerusalem. Scholars are divided about whether or not it happened here after his two-week stay with Peter or if it happened about 10 years later when he came back to Jerusalem during a famine. Scholars are divided which place this happened. I think it happened here. So there's this account in Acts chapter 22 that Paul shares with us And it seems very much like it would fit perfectly into Acts chapter 9. He is at Peter's house. He's preaching the gospel every day. He's going to the synagogues, preaching about Jesus. And the Hellenistic Jews try to kill him. So he sails away from Caesarea back home to Tarsus. Here's how he recounts this. He uh, shares this account. Acts chapter 22, verse 17, Paul writes, When I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and I saw the Lord speaking to me. Quick, he said, leave Jerusalem immediately because the the people here will not accept your testimony about me. Lord, I replied, these people know that I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then the Lord said to me, go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. So I believe that that account, when he saw the Lord and the Lord is the one who was like, you have to get out of Jerusalem. I'm going to send you to the Gentiles. Your testimony is not accepted here. I believe that happened at this time in Acts chapter 9 when Paul was staying at Peter's house because he wanted so much to do ministry in Jerusalem. And the Lord was just like, you have to get out. So I believe it happened here. So he went out and he went, the, the, the church, the brothers and sisters, took him to Caesarea, to, which is a seaport, and he sailed north through the Mediterranean Sea up to Tarsus, which was his hometown. So here we have this man, Saul, who is in his young 30s, and he knows Jesus. He's been converted about three years ago. He went and spent years in the desert with Jesus and Jesus just like downloaded into him tremendous theology that has changed the world, theology that we still study today, theology that has stood the test of time, that is life-giving, the truth of God. And he was not yet in a place where God was ready for him to publicly do the ministry that he had received. So he sent him home back to Tarsus. I just think that's a tremendous lesson. God so often in the scriptures calls people to a task, gives them a direct call, and then requires them to wait for years, for years and years before that direct task that they have received can come to fruition. We see it in the pages of scripture all the time. Abraham had to wait 25 years before God gave him the promise and before he had Isaac, who was the child of the promise. Moses, after he killed an Egyptian, went and ran into the desert for 40 years before God would call him back to deliver the people of Israel out of Egypt. David received his anointing when he was a teenager and waited for up to two decades before he got to become king. And he spent much of that time, years, running from Saul, who was trying to kill him. 
And he sent he spent years in the wilderness, the literal wilderness, just like Moses and just like Paul. He spent literal years in the wilderness just waiting on the Lord and running for his life before he got to become the king that he had been anointed to become when he was a teenager. Joseph waited years, like 20 years from the time that he had the dreams, he had the visions that God had given to him when he was a 17-year-old boy. And then 20 years later, it came to fruition and he got to lead the people and bring his family out of the famine. And 20 years Jesus himself was sent to the desert for 40 days to be tempted by Satan before he was released to do his public ministry. There is a clear indication of scripture that we receive a call from God. God has a call on our life. And yet before it comes to fruition, he puts us in a period of waiting and refining. It's the refiner's fire that he causes us to wait on him and to hear from him and to wait on him and to hear from him. I think usually he uses that time, those years, as a way of shaping us into the person he needs us to be, to do the task that he has given us to carry out. He uses those years to refine us. He uses those years to sanctify us. He uses those years to sharpen us, to give us the skill set to help us to rely on him instead of relying on ourselves. That's so significant. It's like he uses those years to show us you cannot do this without me. And while you think you can do this without me, that just shows me that you are incapable of doing it right now. Until you know that you need to be 100% reliant on me, you are not ready to do what I have called you to do. I've still called you to do it. The time is just not yet. And that was the case with Paul. So Paul went home to Tarsus, where his family was from. Now, was he accepted when he got there? We have no idea. His family was a family of Pharisees. We know that. And he was raised in a very devout Jewish family. We know that. He now has come to believe with his whole entire being that Jesus is the promised Messiah from the Old Testament scriptures, that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament, does his family accept him when he gets back home? We don't know, but we have no information about his family, which could lead us to believe that they disowned him when he got back home. We're not sure. He probably worked in his father's tent-making shop or developed his own tent-making shop if he was disowned. That had been his father's trade, and we know it was his trade as well. So he probably took up tent-making again when he got back home, and more than likely, he did a lot of preaching. Now, one of the things that leads us to know to assume that he did a lot of preaching during this time is that in 2 Corinthians chapter 11... He's writing to the people of Corinth in about A.D. 56. And he tells them about all of these sufferings and beatings that he's been through for the sake of the gospel. But most of what he shares is not written down in the book of Acts. And we don't see most of it in his missionary journeys. And so it's possible that a lot of the suffering that he talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, it's possible that a lot of that or a portion of that occurred during about a decade when he was at home in Tarsus. 
I'm going to read to you what he writes about the suffering that he endured. And like I said, some of it we see in the book of Acts prior to AD 56, which was his third missionary journey. When he wrote this letter, he was on, he wrote this letter, 2 Corinthians, from his third missionary journey. So during his first and second missionary journey, we see some of this, but certainly not the full extent of this, which is why it makes sense to think that when he was in Tarsus for about 10 years before starting his first journey, it seems like he must have endured some of this suffering for the sake of Christ. So I'm going to read from 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And he says this, I have worked much harder. I have been in prison more frequently. I've been flogged more severely. I've been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in dangers from my fellow Jews, in danger from the Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have gone without food. I have been cold and naked. So like I said, a number of those are recorded in his first three journeys, but certainly not all of them, which leads us to believe when he spent a decade in Tarsus at home, he probably was preaching the gospel and probably went through a, a, a significant amount of suffering during that time. He also writes in 2 Corinthians about another experience that he must have had, like if we just do the math, he must have had this experience during this decade when he went home to Tarsus. When he's also writing 2 Corinthians in chapter 12, he says 14 years ago, okay, well that would put us at about 42 AD, because he's writing this letter in about 56 AD. 42 AD would be about, give or take, eight years after his conversion. So he had already spent three years in Arabia, he had spent his two weeks or so in Jerusalem. He had gone home to Tarsus. And about five years into that stay, his time in Tarsus, he has this experience, approximately 42 AD. He writes on to say this, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I don't know. But God knows was caught up to paradise and he heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. So he's writing in the third person, but scholars agree across the board that he's writing about himself, that 14 years prior to writing this, about 42 AD, he had this experience from the Lord where the Lord revealed not only himself again to Paul, but also revealed the heavens to Paul. It says he was caught up to the third heavens. That is that is heaven. So in the Jewish train of thought, they, the first heaven would be like where the birds fly. The second heaven would be like the atmosphere. And the third heaven would be heaven, the dwelling place of God. And Paul writes that he was caught up into it and he saw things and heard things that he was not permitted to tell. Things too beautiful to speak of, to write about. So we know that he had this revelation somewhere in his years in Tarsus and that he was doing ministry, working 
and just waiting on the Lord to send him out because the Lord had already said, I'm going to send you to the Gentiles. The Lord had told him at his conversion, the Lord had told him that he was his chosen instrument to proclaim his name to the Gentiles, to speak to the kings and the people of Israel as well. So he knows that God has a mission for his life and he is just waiting it out until it's time for him to go on this mission. I want to wait on the Lord like Paul is waiting on the Lord in Tarsus. He's waiting. It seems like he's being faithful to the Lord, doing his work, preaching when he can, and just working and waiting, working and waiting and seeking Jesus, continuing to learn more and more and more theology, sharpening his skills, learning to love other people, and just waiting until the Lord says, okay, it's time. Now's the time. I want to just share a couple of words from David, who also had to wait on the Lord. David wrote in the book of Psalms, Psalm chapter 27, verses 13 and 14. He says, I remain confident in this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Take heart and wait for the Lord. I just have to assume he was writing that to himself as he was in a cave that psalm psalm 27 it's one of my favorite ones it starts out by saying the lord is my light my salvation whom shall i fear the lord is the stronghold of my life of whom shall i be afraid the man was on the run from king saul who wanted to kill him he's probably in a cave at the time of writing this and he is just saying who shall i be afraid of of whom can i fear God is the stronghold of my life. And then he ends the psalm by saying, wait for the Lord. Be strong, take heart, and wait for the Lord. I want to wait for the Lord. Paul worked while he waited for the Lord. He sought the Lord. He worked. He suffered during that time. And the Lord kept revealing himself to him more and more and more until he was ready. Let us seek the Lord in our times of waiting. Whatever you're waiting for in this time, would you seek the Lord? And not just seeking the Lord about his plans, but seeking the Lord first and foremost to find out who he is. Who, who are you, Lord? As I'm waiting, show me who you are. Teach me who you are. Show me your beauty. Show me your glory. Show me your strength. Show me your goodness. Show me who you are in the midst of my waiting. I want to know you, Jesus. I want to know you. In that same psalm, Psalm 27, David writes, One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. He's on the run from King Saul. <laughs> He's on the run. His life is being hunted, and he's like, one thing do I want. Not to be safe, not to finally get to be king. The one thing I want, the one thing I'm asking for, is to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. 
to know you, God, to know you, to gaze upon you, Jesus. That's my one thing. In my time of waiting, I want one thing, to know Jesus more, to know Jesus more, to know Jesus more. As we get together in the next episode, we're going to look at what happened after this waiting. How did Paul transition from this waiting period to his public ministry? That is how we're going to transition next week. And wouldn't you know, God uses an encourager to be the person who helps him to know that it's time. It's time. Just like he sent Ananias Uh, to encourage him when he was recently converted, he's going to send another friend to let him know it's time to start your public ministry. God keeps sending people into Saul's life to encourage him on the way for this tremendous world-changing task that he has called him on. Praise be to God. Have a great day. Thanks for joining me. Bye. Bye.